So I had a dream last night, a bad dream. Anybody ever have a bad dream? I didn't have a good dream last night. But in a sense, it was good. In this dream, I had full knowledge of my life as it is today, right? With Misty, with our children, building a home, everything that we have. And I have full knowledge of this. And then suddenly, I am stuck in, in, in a body that's another version of me. It's me, but I'm living a different life. So I'm married to another woman. I have a dog. Yeah. I wake up in this apartment. I'm married to another woman. We have a dog. I don't know if we had kids. And then my life just fast-forwarded, like scrubbing through a video. And I saw that I was really wealthy. And I had a chauffeur. I was in a luxury car, somebody driving me, dressed very well. And we drove to some very exclusive property. And as I'm driving to this exclusive property, I see my house that is being built. It's a double-story mansion on a mountain overlooking the ocean. And then suddenly I'm in my house, and everything is, like, excellent in this home. And then I look, I look at myself in the mirror, and I am the most miserable person alive. Because my life was without God and His presence, and it had no purpose. That's what I woke up with this morning. I realized that you can have all the money in the world. You can have the finest things. You can have the nicest home. You can have a beautiful spouse. You can even have a chauffeur driving you in a luxury car. But without the presence of God and without purpose, your life is meaningless. It is empty. And so I, when I woke up this morning, I was so thankful that I know the Lord, that I have a spouse who serves the Lord with me, that we have a destiny, that we have purpose together, and number one above all, that I have the presence of God in my life. And so it was a bad dream because I couldn't get out of it. It's like I went on this journey in this person's body, and lived a life with nice things, but without the Lord. Amen? And so, what we do here at Pure is we help you come into relationship with God. That's what we're here to do. I don't have any other agenda but to help you come to know the Lord. And so, um, can we switch to Sheba 2.0? You say, well, what is Sheba 2.0? It's my iPad. Let's see if we can do this. So I'm going to show you some of my amazing artwork, guys. I have the most epic artwork. This is the stuff right here, man. This is, I need Pastor Chris to help me. You think it's great, baby? It's my notes. And so... The journey that we're on, I had an encounter with the Lord in, um, in July 2007. The only way to describe it is I got hit by a bright light, like lightning. And 
when I woke, I came home after that conference week, I woke up on Monday morning, and I knew things that I didn't study. It's like the Lord would speak to me every morning before I woke up, and there was a download of information about stuff, and I began to write out this vision. And as I wrote this vision out, this is the journey that the Lord took me on. He took me through the Bible for three months. He took me on a journey out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. It's the same journey that Israel took. They were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord showed me how to lead people into the promised land, how to lead people into His presence. Not only over the last 15 years that the Lord give me this in my heart, but that the Lord actually walked me through this thing myself. You see, it's, I know this journey because I walk this journey with the Lord. It's not just something that I teach. It's something that I live, right? And so this is the message that the Lord has given me, and this has been the foundation over 15 years. In the beginning, I would just teach what the Lord was showing me, and as we continued, to, as I began to walk this journey, I was able to teach it more clearly. And now I'm in the promised land. I know I'm, I'm on this side and I'm looking back, and I can clearly see how to lead people into His presence. We're coming out of the will of self into the will of the Father. We're coming out of darkness into light. We're coming out of bondage into freedom. We're com coming out of living to please self to living to please the Lord. And it's a journey, and it's a process that each and every person has to walk out. Every one of us are born into sin. When you came out of your mother's womb, you did not know the Lord. The day that you knew the Lord was the day that you accepted Jesus and you made the decision to follow Him. And that's what happens is people give their lives to Jesus. They come to the place where they realize, I'm tired of living this sinful life without God. You can have all the money. You can have the car. You can have a pretty wife. You can even have a dog. You can have a chauffeur and a house on a mountain. You can be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. But without God, you're still a sinner, and you still have condemnation, and you still have emptiness on the inside, and you don't know what to do with your life. And the Lord wants to bring you to a place where you know Him, and you know the plans and purposes and why you were created, to give your life meaning. You can even come to church, spend 20, 30 years in church, and still not know the Lord. Do a lot of great works. You can serve in kids' ministry and feed the poor. You can do all the works, but still be empty inside. This is not a works program to find acceptance with God. There's acceptance by faith when you receive what Jesus did for you at the cross. And what that does is it opens your up, up a path for you to step into the kingdom. But there's a struggle. You have the struggle on the inside of you stepping into the presence of God, the promised land. Because you've got all this stuff in you that you've got to work out. If you don't deal with the blockages in your heart, the stuff that's in there is actually what blinds you from what's being given to you. And you've got to clean that out. Plus, you've got to understand the Word of God, what has been given to you. If you don't know what the Word says, then you don't know what belongs to you. The video that Blade had put together that we watched here, he was just talking about identity in Christ Jesus. That whole video was about you being a priest and a king and called and anointed and marked. Do you know who you are? 
And if you don't understand who you are now in Christ Jesus, then you still have a mindset of who you were in Egypt. And so we've got to bring you out of Egypt, but then we've got to get Egypt out of you. Right? And we've got to show you who you are now in Christ Jesus. And this is a lear- it's something that you learn, something that you grow into, something that you walk out for the rest of your life. You know, you can't force a tree to grow any faster. It matures day by day. And many people, they say, well, I just want to be where you are. I want, to, I want to walk where you're walking with the Lord. I want to be anointed. I want to know my calling. I want to know my destiny. Well, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcut to this thing. You have to walk the journey and say, I'm going to walk this thing out. And every person has to walk their personal journey with the Lord. There's no light skipping. There's no... You know, you got to walk it out. You know, you're not in Star Wars. Be me, you're not in Star Trek. Be me up, Scotty. You got to walk this thing out and you got to work on you and your relationship with the Lord. It's not just handed to you and it's a done deal. You don't get married and then your marriage is perfect. You got to work on that relationship daily. Not Sunday. Every day you've got to work this thing out. And you've got to make a decision that a covenant and relationship with God is the most important thing. That was another thing about this dream that I had this morning. I realized that you can make a covenant with the wrong person. One covenant decision can take your life in a whole other direction. And having a covenant with God is the most important relationship that you need in your life. So where are we going? Once you get saved, we gotta, we got to get you to understand that you have to make a decision to leave Egypt behind. How do you leave Egypt behind? You have to cut yourself off from all the things you used to do. That means you need to say goodbye to some things. That means you might have to say goodbye to some people that are not willing to take this journey with you. And if you don't cut those relationships off and you don't cut those places off and you you don't get rid of that stuff, it'll hold you bound. What you have to understand is that if you're holding something in the natural, there's a connection to your heart. I'll say it again. If you're holding certain things in the natural, there is a connection to your heart. And so if you can't separate from those things, you have to realize that you're bound by it. And you've got to begin to cut some strings. I, when I made the decision that I was leaving my life of sin, I went through my photo albums and I destroyed every picture of me in my sinful life. I got rid of it. I got rid of all my clothing. I got rid of all my music. I totally separated myself from everything that reminded me of the places I used to go and the things I used to do. And if you don't walk away from that, it'll pull you right back in. Well, I'm going to help my friends. You can only help your friends if you help yourself. And until you're delivered from that and come to the place of empowerment by the Holy Ghost, you're not ready to go back and help anybody out. I'm going to say this too, just because I'm feeling it. 
Ladies, you don't need a project. You need a husband. I'm with him because I'm going to help him find Jesus. No, you're not. You better have Jesus already. Because he ain't leading your house. You be leading the house. And now you're in the wrong position. I feel rocks getting ready to be thrown at me. You don't need a project. You're supposed to have a man who's going to lead you spiritually and your household into the things of God. Because if the man don't go, the rest of the family ain't going. And eventually you'll wear out and you'll give up. Not just on him, but on you. That's why we're going to the men's conference. Our men are going to come back better than we are right now. And so you've got to make a decision. You're leaving Egypt. But where are we going? It's very important to understand we think steps. We don't think programs around here. That means we're leading you somewhere. We're taking you on a journey. We're not keeping you caught up in programs just to keep you busy coming out to church all the time because we want to get another offering. I don't even want to get started. I didn't sleep much last night, so, you know. I might say some things today. But I said, I think I said it last week. I'm just at a point where I don't care anymore. The truth is the truth. Amen? I'm going to say it nicely, but there's just some things that when you say certain things, it hurts. And if it hurts, then you've got to say, ooh, that's me. I'm ready to change. I've got to make some improvements in this area. And you can. We understand where you are, but don't get stuck along the way. Keep moving. And when you do get stuck, we're here to help you break through that next step. Sometimes you can't see what's next, and all you need is somebody to show you what's next or what you're going through or what you're facing so you can see it, and then you can step over it, right? And so... Yeah, there's lots of opportunity to get offended here on this journey. Look at the person next to you and say, on this journey, the truth is offensive. Listen, when you go to the gym and the guy tells you that's what the scale says, you're overweight, you can't be upset about it. You are overweight. Accept reality. When pastors Mike and Selena look at your budget and they say, you are in debt. Don't be offended. You are in debt. Let's stop avoiding the facts and face the facts and say we're going to do something about it. Faith does not ignore the facts. Faith recognizes what the facts are, but there's a truth that says this is not who I am. There's a higher destiny for me, and I'm moving forward to what God has for me, which is way better than what I have right now. But you can't look around the room at people who are putting in the work and say, well, they're just lucky. There's no such thing as lucky. You either put in the work and get rewarded, or you don't put in the work. And then there's no reward. 
So we want to get you out of Egypt. We want to get you out of bondage. And there's different places. Let me, let me tell you about this too. Coming out of Egypt, your relationships have to be restored. Your finances have to be restored. Your health has to be restored. Your soul needs to be restored. Your identity needs to be restored. There's all these different areas where God wants to bring you into full abundance, life and life more abundantly, full restoration. That's where He wants to bring you. But you might be strong in one area and weak in another. You might be great in relationships but be horrible in finances. You might be great with your marriage. Everything good at home. But stuff at work, your work ethics are horrible. Right? And so there's different areas that we've got to work on to bring them into fullness, bring them into abundance. And so everybody's got a different path they have to walk. Some people grew up in a home, you know, where it was a broken home. And they had all kinds of stuff going on in their house, abuse and drugs and alcohol and addictions. And, and then other people grew up in great houses, but still without God. And they have, they have identity problems, Self, self-conscious. And everybody's got different things to work on. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy, if you're poor. There's other areas that you've got to fix. And even if you have a lot of money, if the kingdom is not your priority, then you've got a lot of money, but it's not doing anything for you. It's not doing anything for eternity. The purpose of prosperity is so that you can be a blessing. Look at the person next to you and tell them the purpose of prosperity is to be a blessing. You know that there's people that are called to make a lot of money. There's a grace on their lives to do it. They are, they've been gifted by God, and they're supposed to use those resources to fund the kingdom. But it's very, it's very hard when you've got a lot of money. Jesus said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is a tiny hole than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Because you trust in your wealth. You say, I don't need God. I have everything. And I don't know who I'm talking to today. But this thing with the dream I had, I don't know if it's somebody watching online or whatever. But this dream I had this morning and what I'm saying right now about wealth, you can have all the money in the world and be totally empty. And God wants to visit you and show you who He is and give you purpose for your life and purpose for your wealth. Amen? And so coming out of Egypt... You've got to make a decision that you're cutting off all that stuff. You are repenting of all the stuff, the works. They're dead works. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I'm crossing the Red Sea. You get baptized in water. There's a baptism where you get baptized into Christ Jesus. And, but that, you can get baptized in water and just get wet. If you don't understand what you're doing when you get baptized and your heart hasn't been transformed, you can get baptized 50 times and your life not be changed. Because you haven't made the commitment in your heart to say goodbye to Egypt. You haven't made a decision in your heart to say goodbye to the sin life and fully surrender to God. And so until you fully surrender to the Lord and then get water baptized, it's not going to help you. You're just getting wet. Because water baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. 
The wedding ring is a sign that I made a commitment in my heart. But if there's no commitment in my heart and I have a wedding ring, what purpose is there for it? I'm not wearing my wedding ring because my finger's too fat and I haven't resized it. Does that mean I'm not married? Does that mean I don't have a commitment? No, I have a commitment whether I wear a wedding ring or not. And I stick to that commitment. You can have a wedding ring all day long and have no commitment in your heart to your spouse. Treat them like trash. And so you get baptized in water. You've made a commitment in your heart. You're done with that sin lifestyle, and you are moving forward with God. You have made a decision. I am following Christ. I'm giving my life to Christ. And so you come out of Egypt, but the first place you're going to come to is this place called Marah. Mara is a pool that the Israelites showed up to that had bitter water in it. And so when you have been abused and you've lived this whole life in Egypt, you come out of Egypt, you're still carrying hurt, disappointment, judgment, anger, abuse. You're carrying the sound of your old life still, still tired and complaining and life is woe and yeah. All you know is slavery. You don't know anything better. So just because you're no longer in prison doesn't mean that your life's any better. And so you come to this place where you've got to deal with all the bitterness in your life. If you don't deal with the bitter things of your life, you're stuck. Look at the person next to you and say, you've got to get bitterness out of you. You've got to get judgment for other people out of you. When Jesus was hung on the cross and they crucified him, his prayer was, Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. And you have to come to the place where you realize that all the abuses and everything that was done to you was done by people who do not know God. And had they known what they were doing, they would not have done it. Just like you did some things that you wish you never did, had you known what you know now, you wouldn't have done those things. And so if we're expecting God to forgive us, we have to forgive those who've abused us, who've come against us. This is the reality. And the thing is, if you don't deal with this stuff in your heart, then you stay a captive to what has been done to you, and you live in the past, and you can never move forward into the things that God has for you. Look at the person next to you say, clean hands, pure hearts. We've got to get you clean on the inside because that's where you encounter God. And so you come to this place where you repent. You come to this place where you forgive. You come to this place where you release everything, and the Lord restores you. He starts healing that area of your soul, and you start finding peace in your heart now. And when you find restoration for your soul, your body starts healing. You can't, there's, if you listen to Dr. Caroline Leaf, she talks about how the mind, when you think certain thoughts, it releases certain things into your body. And when you have negative thoughts about judgment and anger and hurt and you replay those things, you're actually releasing toxins into your system, which is causing your body to break down. 
That's why peace of mind is so important. That's why joy in the heart is so important. That's why a clear conscience is so important, because it brings life to your body. You're just hurting yourself holding people captive. You're not hurting anybody else. You're hurting you. You're trapped. You're stuck. You don't know what they did to me. I fully understand. It's painful. It hurts. But Jesus can turn all of that around. Are you going to let those moments ruin the rest of your life? Let Jesus turn it around. He's got some things for you. He'll restore it. But this is the place where we want to come to, family. We want to bring you to this mountain where you have an encounter with the Lord. Look at the person next to you and say, you've got to have an encounter with the Lord. And so I want to read to you a little bit. If you open your Bibles, it's, you know, why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because there's a lot of new people in this church that don't understand this. They've given their hearts to Jesus, but they don't know what's next. And it's very important for us to teach and train people so that they understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And if you're in this place and you're mature in the Lord, you need to understand these things too so you can disciple other people. Look at the person next to you and say, we are here to help other people. And so... I'm teaching you how to be a minister of the gospel of reconciliation, restoring people to God. And so, in the book of, uh, why am I in Genesis? In the book of Exodus, <laughs> Exodus chapter 3, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Now, let me hold, I've got to get, you get rid of that. So, Moses, who knows the story of Moses? Moses was born in a time where the king, where the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he, didn't, he saw that the Israelites were, who were slaves, had become slaves, that they were growing too, too quickly in numbers. And so, he didn't, he didn't want them to take over the country. So, he put out an order to kill all the babies two years and under. And Moses was born in a time when babies were being executed. As they were being born, they were being taken from the mothers if they were boys and they were being executed. And so the mother didn't, didn't want her baby to die. She was led by the Lord to put this baby in a basket and put it, put it down the river to go to, to where Pharaoh's uh, wife bathes. And she finds this baby. And ends up bringing Moses into the house and raising an Israelite in Pharaoh's house. And so Moses went out one day to see how things were going with his people. And he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And he, he was called by God to be a deliverer, but he took things into his own hand. And he ended up killing the Egyptian. And so... He realized that he's, he, went, you know, he went the next day to solve a problem between two Israelites, and they said, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And he realized that his people weren't ready to accept him and that the king wanted to kill him, so he fled into the wilderness. Look at the person next to you and say, into the wilderness. 
The reason that the Lord brings you out of Egypt into the wilderness, because the wilderness is, number one, a place of transformation. Number two, the wilderness is a hot, dry place. You can't skip the wilderness. You've got to go through it. Look at the person next to you and say, you've got to go through the wilderness. You don't want to get stuck in it. You want to make a decision to go through that valley. Amen? Don't take 40 years. Don't die in there. Go right through it. And so he goes into the wilderness. He's out there for 40 years. He's 80 years old now, tending sheep out in the wilderness, and he's probably wondering what his life is all about. I grew up in Pharaoh's house, and now I'm tending sheep on the backside of the desert. You've got to imagine the kind of stuff going through his head. My life is more than this. God saved me from dying at age two and put me in Pharaoh's house, and I was raised up there, and now I'm in the wilderness. My life has to have more meaning than this. How many of you have that kind of mindset, and you realize your life has more meaning than what you're going through right now? There's got to be more to life than this. Do you know that you can start getting hungry? That's what the wilderness does. The wilderness is a place where you begin to get hungry and you begin to search on the inside and you begin to get desperate that I'm tired of living this way. There's got to be another way. And if you don't get hungry and you don't get desperate for the Lord, you won't find Him. You won't encounter Him. Look at the person next to you and tell him you've got to have an encounter with God. But your encounter depends on you. You've got to look. You've got to search. You've got to seek. You've got to desire. You've got to ask. If you're not looking, you're not going to find. If you're not asking, you're not receiving. And so the day that you decide, uh, I don't want really encounter with the Lord. Uh, it's not that important to me. You won't have an encounter. You won't hear His voice. I thought about this. You know when you're sick and you have no desire for food? You know, your mom comes along and says, here, baby, I made you food. You're like, well, I'm sick. I don't want any food. Who's ever been in that place? No matter what they make you, your favorite meal, you're just not hungry. Well, you can come to church. You can be around all of this and just not be hungry for the things of God. No hunger. And without hunger and without thirst, you're not going to draw what you need from the Lord. You're not going to seek. You're not going to press in. And you need to be hungry for the things of God. And that's part, what are the, part of what the wilderness is all about. I'm tired of living this way. I can't get out of what I'm stuck in. I need God to deliver me. And you begin to search and you begin to, begin to seek until you touch God or until God touches you. And if you believe that He exists, according to Hebrews 11, verse 1, I mean 6, if you believe that God exists, you know that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But you have to believe that God is there. And you have to go on a hunt to find Him. But you can't find God with the natural. You've got to find God in the Spirit, because He's a Spirit, and you're a Spirit, and that's how He's going to connect with you, Spirit to Spirit. And so Moses is out there. 80 years old, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Through the bush, Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God, he introduces himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. You see, when you have an encounter with God, God will introduce himself to you, and God will give you the assignment for your life. People wondering what their lives are all about. Without God, you'll never figure it out. Every person has to have their own personal encounter with the Lord. And this is the place that we want to lead you to, the place where you encounter God. And I'll tell you, the day that you encounter the Lord, your life will change. You'll never, ever, ever, ever be the same again. You'll never see life the same again. Anybody in here who's had one of those encounters, and you know what I'm talking about? Three people. And so he gets his assignment, but he doesn't believe in himself. And so you can go read that, but I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 19. You can read this whole story. It's a really great story. Exodus chapter 19, Moses has now led the Israelites out of Egypt. He's done mighty signs and wonders. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness. They've come by Marah, and they've come to Mount Sinai, the same place where he had this encounter with God. And on verse 16, here Moses in Exodus 19, verse 16, he has now brought all of Israel out to come and encounter the fire. When you have an encounter with God and experience the fire of God, you want to lead everybody to that encounter too. Because when you've encountered it, it's radically changed your life. You're not interested in bringing people to church or anything. You want them to meet God. Because you know that's the thing that changed you. And so he's got this whole two million people or so out in the bush. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a loud blast from the ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. And the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. 
and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. And the Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain, so, so Moses climbed the mountain. If you go over into chapter 20, verse 1, Then God gave the people all these instructions. And this is where the Lord now spoke to Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. God spoke to them personally. He laid out the laws. When you come into the kingdom, you want to you live according to, uh, to please God. You have to live according to His laws. Look at the person next to you and say, you cannot please God if you don't live according to His laws. What happens if you break the laws in the United States of America? You go to jail. Well, if we can't break laws here and get away with it, how do we think we're going to break God's laws and He's going to be happy with us? And there's this crazy message going out about this message of grace. Well, we're no longer under the law. We're now under grace. Trust me. Trust me. God has not abandoned His laws. God is just giving you the power to obey those laws. That's what grace is. The power to naturally want to obey the laws of God. Because He writes it on the tablet of your heart, and from the inside He gives you the ability to obey Him. He takes out the stony heart, the rebellious heart, and He puts a new heart in you. Then He puts His Spirit in you. And now you have the grace to do it. Where before, you didn't want to do it because you had no ability to do it. It was too much work. But now it's easy. Why? Because God's empowered you to do it. And so if we think we can just go live a life of sin and then come up to the altar every Sunday and say, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. He loves me. I'm under grace. You're going to go to hell. You're going to go to the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is is like going, it's not going to Rock Road. It's going to prison for eternity. It's the truth. We're going to stand before a judge, and there's going to be a sentence based on how we lived our life. Hell is, is a holding cell, Rock Road. The lake of fire, hell gets thrown into the lake of fire for eternal death. You don't. You think you're going to break the laws here and not go to prison? And then with God, oh, we're under grace. You can do whatever you want, and God doesn't care? Get a reality check. There's an eternal prison called the lake of fire where there is torment beyond your wildest dreams, and you do not want to go there. And let me, let me show you what happened in the Bible here. God wants to speak to the people, but this is what the people respond in verse 18. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Now listen to Moses' reply. He says, don't be afraid, Moses answered them. For God has come down in this way to test you so that you would fear Him and you would keep you from sinning. When you don't have this pillar of fire, this fear of the Lord in your life, there's nothing to keep you from sinning. 
And so what ended up happening was these people said, no, we don't want to talk to God. You talk to God. But God said, I want to be their God. I want them to be my people. I want to speak to them directly. And so they refused that. So if you go now to chapter 31, we discover that Moses goes up to the mountain to be with God. And these people at the bottom of the mountain in in chapter 32 took their gold jewelry off and they built an idol made out of gold and they were worshiping the idol at the bottom of the mountain while Moses was at the top of the mountain. When you won't allow God access to be the fire burning on the inside of you and you won't come to the place of relationship with the Lord with encounter, then there is no fear of God in your life because you don't even know if He exists. But when you come to this place of encountering the Holy Ghost and fire, you know that God is real. And He gives you the grace to obey Him. And there is a fear of God on the inside of you that you say, you know what, I dare not disobey God. The Holy Ghost nudges you and says, ah, don't do that. He warns you. He's in you. He's there to help you. Not get stuck in sin and get caught up in things that are not going to be pleasing to the Lord. And family, what we have to understand is that if we don't have this encounter with God, there is no... Uh, there is no... inside of you to obey God. There's no fear of the Lord. Let me tell you a story. When I was living in South Africa, this was the year that the Lord was preparing me to come to America. Um, I, ha- I got baptized in water. I moved down to Cape Town. I got involved in a church. I got active in the church. I was there every night of the week. I was there Monday night. I don't know why I was there Monday, but I was there Tuesday night, cell group, home group meeting training. I was there Wednesday night for Wednesday night service. I was there Thursday night for who knows what reason. I was there Friday night for prayer and youth ministry. I was there Saturday to get on the trains to go soul winning, soul winning Saturdays. Every Saturday we'd jump on the train. The train was going from Steenburg to Cape Town. And the minute the doors would close for the train, we would get up and preach because there was no escape. And there was one or two things happening. There was going to be a riot on the train or there was going to be revival. Thank God they didn't throw Nick from the train, and I'm still alive. And so Sunday morning, I was there for both morning services. I would pray the whole afternoon and then go to the evening service because I didn't want to drive all the way back home. It was too far. So I was fully committed. I was at everything. I was at the women's meetings. I was at the usher meetings. It didn't matter what meeting was happening. And if there was no meeting, the youth would get together and we'd create our own meeting. It was seven nights a week. We were just pressing into the things of God, talking about God moving and what God was doing. And every time we got together, the power of God would hit. God would show up. And every day we lived with the presence of God. And so the Lord started preparing me to come to America and to step into the destiny that He had for me. And so in that year, the Holy Ghost began to teach me things. I learned things by the Spirit. The Lord taught me things. Just like the Lord gave me this vision for the church. And then uh, in, uh, later that year, He told me to step out and start it. The Lord has led me. 
since I surrendered my life to him. And so we were in Cape Town, and I was getting ready to leave to come to America. And the Lord said to me, I want you to do a dinner at your house. I want you to invite all the youth leaders out. I want you to wash their feet. Strange, Jesus, but okay. So I invited them to the house, cooked the dinner, washed their feet. And while we're there, we just decided we're going to watch some movies. So we put on a Rodney Howard Brown movie. And we put on a Catherine Kuhlman movie, right? We weren't watching, uh, who knows, junk. We were watching the Word of God stuff, encounters, God moving in meetings, because we were hungry for the things of God. And so we watched these two videos. I thought Catherine Kuhlman was very strange. I'd never seen her before. It's like, this is too much. I don't know about this. This lady's a little weird. I didn't mock her or anything. Thank you, Jesus. And then we're watching Pastor Rodney. He was down in Port Elizabeth, and there was, in South Africa, when the world put sanctions against South Africa to get them to change their laws, what happened was the car companies pulled out of South Africa, and there was a certain place called Utenhag where all the cars were imported into South Africa. Well, when sanctions got hit, no cars were being imported, and that whole region went into poverty because everybody lost their jobs. And so Pastor Rodney went down there, and he did uh, several weeks of meetings, and a giving revival broke out where people were giving everything they had. There was a, on the stage, there was a mountain of stuff. For two, three hours, people were just giving. People giving their shoes, jewelry. People went home and got groceries, all kinds of stuff. People just came to give, and they broke through poverty. Look at the person next to you and say, if you want to break through poverty, you've got to face that giant and start giving. The very thing the devil tells you not to do, you go against him. That's how you break through. When the devil says you don't have enough money, you'll never make it. Oh, really, devil? Since when do I listen to you? God says, he shall provide all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I'm giving. And because, you, because you're trying to stop my blessing, I'm going to give double. You don't listen to the devil. You listen to what God says. You disobey the devil and you obey God. Look at somebody and say, disobey the devil. I give you permission to be disobedient. I'll give you 100% permission, 150% permission to be disobedient this week to the devil. I'm going to be disobedient this week. You can tell your parents that. Tell your boss that. I'm going to be disobedient to the devil. And so we ended up watching these two movies. It's 11 o'clock. And one of the guys, we had to get up and go to church the next morning. So one of the guys, his name's Brenton. He was shorter than the rest of us, like Zacchaeus. You say, who's Zacchaeus? He's a little guy that had to climb a tree to see Jesus. And so he said goodnight. And he walked to the door. And he grabbed the handle of the door. And when he grabbed it, the power of God picked him up. And he flew. And he landed in my kitchen. He screamed while he was flying through the air. And he hit the ground in the kitchen. You say, is this real? Absolutely real. And the minute he went flying in the air, I saw a cloud roll into the room. It was a cloud of God's glory. My eyes were open, and I saw a literal cloud move into the room. 
And the fear, the spirit of the fear of the Lord came into the room. If you go to the book of Isaiah and you read, there's the seven spirits of God. There's the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, and the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of God. I had an encounter with the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And let me tell you something, family. The minute this cloud came in, this terror, you can watch horror movies. There's nothing scarier than the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I'm telling you right now. Horror movies have got nothing. If you, if you like being scared, if you're into Halloween and horror nights and everything, I double Scooby-Doo dare you to have an encounter with the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That'll fix you for life. You will realize the devil's not scary no more. Little juju. The only, the only way to describe it is I had an overwhelming terror on the inside of me that I was a sinner and God was coming to kill me personally. And I dove instantly. You know, you know how you have reactions? Imagine. The guy's just standing there, normal, and then suddenly he has this weird reaction where he dives to the ground for no reason, and leopard crawls like a cockroach into the kitchen, hiding under the kitchen sink, climbed into the cabinets, hiding under the kitchen sink because I thought God was coming to kill me. We're going to watch the movie when we get to heaven. We're going to do a replay of me having an encounter with the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And you're going to watch me dive and leopard crawl like a cockroach under the kitchen cabinets. Because what came into the room was so terrifying that I didn't, I didn't even think. I just reacted. And family, when you have an encounter like that, you know God is real. And you know you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for every decision you've made. And so before you make a decision, you realize, I'm going to stand before God and account for this decision I'm about to make. And so, family, it's time for each and every one of us to have an encounter with God. And you say, well, I've already had an encounter. Well, you need another one. Because I've had many encounters with the Lord. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a regular thing where the Lord speaks to you. The Lord comforts you. The Lord teaches you. The Lord leads you. It's different based on what's going on in your life every day and every season. You need God in your life. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about tradition. I'm not talking about all that other stuff. I'm talking about a personal relationship with the Lord where you walk with Him every single day. Amen? And that's what we're doing. Over these next few weeks, we're going to lay this foundation where you're able to uh, build up the faith you need to have an encounter. And we're going to lead you to it and show you exactly how it happens. Look at the person next to you and say, and suddenly.